All right, we have two studies left in the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, this morning we'll look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And then next week, the postscript of the book. Verse 1. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come, and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low and one rises up at the sound of a bird and all the daughters of song are brought low. They're afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. Uh, in our study of Ecclesiastes over the course of these past many months, we've looked at the contrast that the preacher draws between life under the sun and life under heaven. Um, for those who view life from a, a merely... Um, anthropocentric, man-centered, um, that is, under the sun, worldview. Everything is vanity. Everything is meaningless. And to live here and toil under the sun is like grasping for vapor. That's how he starts the book, Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. Whereas life under heaven examines life from a theocentric perspective, a God-centered perspective, uh, with the knowledge that the Lord is watching and He will indeed render um, a final verdict when all is said and done. Uh, therefore, those who live um, under heaven w- with God in view uh, understand that, there's a, that there is an appointed time for everything. There's a time to be born, there's a time to die, time to mourn, time to dance, and so on. And we realize that, that even suffering um, in this present life is not meaningless. But it's used for, um, for our own good. It's used for God's glory. We see that, or we saw that in chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We looked at it again in chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. So understanding life in this way, that is life from, from a God-centered perspective, life uh, in under-heaven worldview, um, requires us to take a long view of life. And we, we, we looked at that metaphor uh, in chapter 11, verse 1. If you look back at it, it says, casting our bread upon the waters or, or sending our grain off um, in, in many ships that we might find it after several days. That's a metaphor for, for a long-term investment. Um, and what's in view there is a long-term investment of our time, our talent, and our treasure. That is to make a bold venture. Um, in this life, or this life is fleeting, it's very short. 
And we, we looked at the fact that oftentimes um, there is no immediate reaping um, for doing the will of God as we walk by faith and live by faith. But we do know that in eternity, um, those deeds done in faith um, will be rewarded in a manner that, that, can, that far exceeds anything we'll receive here. So uh, this view under heaven um, has that um, in, in sight, that is, in sight of the eyes of faith. We're also reminded in our study in chapter 9 of the uncertainty, okay, that is again of the uncertainty of success through human achievement. And that is regardless of how diligent we may be, regardless of how focused we may be, you know, adhering to some particular formula, um, following some exact prescription for success in this life is no guarantee that all our designs and efforts um, will pay off because life, as we have learned, is unpredictable. So the, the, the human rhythm and reason, reason of life alone is no mathematical formula um, for success. So he's been very balanced. And the reason is, is that there's no guarantee. Uh, the, the reason is that there's two factors at work in this life that overturn human probability, and that is time and chance. Time and chance. Look at chapter 9, verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle of the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. We looked at you know, a few practical examples of this. You know, if someone trains and has world-class speed and trains for four years for the Olympics, and they won all of the heats preceding the Olympics, and, and the time for the Olympics comes, and he wakes up with a stomach virus. Right, time and chance. He, he he couldn't predict that. There's no predictability when when things like this, when time and chance occur. Time has to do with a period of time, referring to a season of time in this life. You know, nature in, in its cycles. And again, we go back to chapter three. For for everything, there is a season. There's a time for every matter under heaven. So there's time, and then there's chance. Chance literally means. Um, when something falls in. So something falls into your life that you didn't plan for, you, you couldn't predict, an occurrence you did not see, it, it falls into your life. It's an unanticipated event that curves the course of, of what we have in mind. Okay, these are things beyond our control. So the preacher, uh, as we've seen throughout, he, he's not a pessimist, but he is a realist. Amen? The preacher is a realist. And, and then he calls us to action in these uh, final two chapters. So the response is, is not to throw one's hands up in despair. It's not to resign you know, to your closet in the dark with a sense of hopelessness, saying, you know, what does it matter? There's time, there's chance. God is sovereign. What does it matter? No, that's, that's not his view. Instead, he looks over it all, and he, he seems to respond uh, with kind of a, you know, a, a wry smile. 
you know, a kind of ironic smile, observing all of these things and basically saying, God is sovereign, therefore we can trust him. We can trust him. With an under-the-heaven worldview, we can trust Almighty God. So he says, therefore, enjoy your life. (laughs) Enjoy your spouse. Enjoy your food. Enjoy your wine. Enjoy your toil, that is your work, from an under-heaven perspective. So in the midst of all that we do not understand, Koaleth says, life is good. It's a blessing. Hard and difficult? Yes. But it's a blessing. It's still good, and it is to be enjoyed. So when we get to verse 7 of chapter 11, notice he says, light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. It's kind of like you put putting your you know hands behind your head and basking in the sun. I did that on my hammock yesterday, and I even moved a plant, a tree plant, so that I could bask in the sun, and it felt good. Light is sweet. Verse eighteen, or no, I'm I'm sorry. Verse eight, chapter eleven. Uh, he goes on to say, you know, in light of our mortality, he exhorts us to a twofold way of living. First, we're to rejoice in the years that we do have. You're given a certain number of years. He says, enjoy them. They're fleeting. The fact that we will die in Ecclesiastes is not meant to put a damper on the life that we do get to live this present time. So although life is fleeting and sometimes unpredictable, we are to find appropriate, we looked at that, appropriate pleasure now. That's been his counsel. He's saying, look, don't postpone enjoyment because death is in view. Instead, enjoy the present moment. So we know that for God's people, joy is actually a command. We're called to be joyful. There's an imperative here to rejoice. And enjoyment is a gift of God. And of course, joy is one of the fruits of the Spirit. So this type of joy, he goes on to say, um, cannot exist. It cannot exist with vexation in the heart. Chapter 11, verse 10. Remove vexation from your heart and, and put away pain from your body. That could also be translated put away evil from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Now this vexation could be a, a deep Bitterness provoked by a hard and disappointing world. We looked at that. Something that causes concern, something that causes worry. It it angers, it grieves you, it irritates you, whatever that is. Um, It could be something that goes as far back as your childhood. A certain vexation that, you know, perhaps you, 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 you you were young and had vigor, and perhaps that vigor was squashed by one of your parents. And you're vexed and you're bitter and you're angry. So there's unforgiveness there. And here you are now, 30, 40, or 50 years old, you know, still vexed by, by someone or something, perhaps that you've never forgiven. 
There's a weight of anger that develops into bitterness. This could be insight here. And then this vexation holds you down for many years. And bitterness um, quenches forgiveness, kills it. So we know that disappointment can lead to discouragement. If discouragement isn't checked or put into check, can lead to the temptation of feeling sorry for oneself, which spins you downward into a state of depression and disillusionment. So he says, put away vexation. Because it kills joy. Also, he says, put away pain from your body. Or, is, is again, it could be translated evil. Put away evil lusts. Count your days, because soon the dawn of life will turn into the dusk of life. So this is kind of a combination, if you will, of Psalm 118 and Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 118, verse 24 says, This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. Mixed with Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. When we're young, we typically do not count the days. We think that we have countless days ahead of us when we're young, typically. I read of a story of a pastor this week who received a, a call um, from uh, a couple in the church, parents who, who were begging him to talk to their adult son. Um, he wasn't really living a wicked life uh, by any means, but their concern was that their son was living only for himself, only concerned uh, with fame and fortune and not the things of God. So they asked the pastor, would you please talk to our son? So the pastor meets with the kid and uh, you know, gives him the gospel again. And the kid responds, now this is a guy in his 20s, he says, yeah, yeah, pastor, I know all of that. Right? Right? I know how many times you hear that. I, I know all that. In a couple years, I'll come back to church, and I'll start living more consciously for the Lord. But, but right now, it's my time. You know, I have to make my heart mark. I have to do my thing. I'm sure God understands. Many young people share that sentiment, right? They, they share that thought. And what's unfortunate is there's a lot of adults who say, ah, let them do their thing. They're young. They'll come back to the Lord. That's not what the Bible teaches. That's not the view of Scripture. Verse 1, chapter 12. Remember also your Creator in the days of your youth. Charles Bridges comments on this. He says, many have remembered too late, but none too soon. Notice the preacher doesn't say remember God. He uses the word creator, okay, which reminds us that, that God gives us everything we have. So he says remember him. In order to, to, to fully enjoy this fleeting life, remember him while you're young. Remember him in your youth. You know, we're very forgetful people, amen? We're called time and time again to, to remember. We're, we're, we, have to be reminded of the, we have to be reminded of the gospel. Many things can make us forget God. When your cupboards are full, when the fridge is full, 
It's easy to forget God. When you have a lot of money in the bank, for, for whether it's retirement or for a rainy day, we can sometimes forget our Creator. It causes us to forget God. If you remember when uh, Israel was enter, entering the promised land, you know, Deuteronomy chapter 8 is a call for Israel to remember the Lord their God. He says, remember, remember, remember who brought you out of bondage and into prosperity in the promised land. Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, remember the whole way. He says, remember the whole way the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. And the word remember is to, to call to mind. So that it affects how you live. Call to mind so it affects how you live now. And here, Coleth's saying, remember your creator because he has a claim on you. You're the creature. You're the creature, he says, remember. So the reality is, is God is your creator. You are his work. You know, you might deny that. You might protest against that. You might rebel against that. And people do, and perhaps some of us have. You can do whatever you want. But he's saying you better soon realize God is your creator. That is the one true God revealed by way of the scripture. You better remember, because to forget is to push him away. From your conscience, conscious thought, you push him away. So he says, remember. You know, a person may hold to a theological, theological doctrine that says God is creator of all and over all. You can adhere to that in your mind theologically and not embrace him as who he is. Creator of all, over all, including you. Amen. So it's not, it's not me saying to another, yeah, I believe God is the creator. It's saying to myself, He's my creator. And it's with him I have to do. That's what he's saying here. Remember your creator in the days of your youth. And then that will affect how you live. And it begins with, you know, the fear of the Lord in the mind and in the heart. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So he says, basically, remember now in your prime... Before the evil day comes and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. This is what delivers a person from the vanity and meaninglessness of, of life. It's remembering your Creator, the Redeemer. Because what you do between the ages of 20 and 50 determine your life. Pretty much for the most part. For the most part. And we looked last week, typically those are the ages of youth, if you will. Ages 20 to 50, if we take it from the perspective of, you know, an Israelite had to be 20 to take up the sword. They would begin training for the priesthood at 25. They would enter the priesthood at 30. They would retire from the priesthood at 50. And then they could still hang around when they were over 50 and assist other priests in the work of the priesthood. Therefore, you're considered young between 20 and 50. Prime years of life. You know, one secular philosopher I read this week said this. Half of life is for living. 
The second half is for regretting. That's a sad commentary. that's, That's to live life for self and then to regret it in your latter years. Now, there is a point of balance, amen? This isn't saying you can't serve God when you're old. The truth is, if you're going to do that, he's saying enjoy your Creator now while you're young to benefit in in the joy of serving Him when you're old. Some of the greatest service we can do for the Lord is when we're old. One of the reasons, we have the wisdom when we're older. Being a grandparent, raising grandchildren, being around your grandchildren, you can dispense wisdom to them, both by way way of your failures and, and your successes. So, so we can serve when we're, we're more older. So, so part of the call here to remember our Creator has to do with the uh, complacency of youth. And that is the, the assumption that we have many years ahead of us. So he says, remember now. Remember now. Make the best use of your time. This is the prime of your life. This is when you have the vigor. This is when you have the strength. Because before you know it, old age sets in and and it zaps that. The vigor, it zaps. It's gone. And we're given more burdens to carry the older we get. That's the idea. So he says, be wise now. Remember God now because life is moving fast much faster than than you think or you perceive when you're in your youth. In other words, prepare to die because you're going to die. You know, the motivation you have when you're young, that drive, that vigor, you want to succeed, right? That's a gift of God. God puts that there. And, And if we can channel it, if you will, in the right direction, when you're young, there's great benefit. If you push it off, thinking that in my latter years are serve God, you may not reach those latter years. And you'll be like this. When you, you reach the old stage of life, I take no pleasure in them. So then we, we move on to this section now that depicts the aging process, the, 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 the decline of life. Were you encouraged when I read that this morning? I don't know if you know what all those things um, signify, but we'll look at them. It's, it's, a, it's a symbolic picture of growing old, the verses that I read. Verses 2 through 8, is one of, it's one of the most interesting illustrations in all of literature as regards growing old and the actual moment of death itself. Back to the dust you shall go. So th- this is a picture now of the breakdown of the body. So he says, all this wisdom that he's dispensed throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, one big grand sermon all the ups and downs of life, all the different perspectives of life. Um, Sometimes in the political realm, things seem to be upside down, where those who who ought to be servants are riding as princes, and those who are princes are walking as servants. It's upside down. Such is life. Colaf basically says, don't trip out about it. Don't worry yourself to, to death, because you will die, so... Enjoy life now, right? So with all this wisdom, 
he, he now begins to paint this slow decline into old age. This is the fade out of mental and physical powers and abilities. The fade out. And it's a reminder that only God is, un, is unchanging. Only God is infinite. You, we, we are the creatures. We are finite. And we're certainly changing. That's what's in view. So this is a somber and, and very sobering scene of the days that we haven't really thought about before when we were in our youth. Verse 2, before the sun, okay, remember the Lord, okay, remember your creator, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. Now, back in chapter 11, verse 7, we see that the light of days is sweet. So here now, he, he compares troubles of old age are like a gathering storm. Clouds appear, right? So the, the idea of clouds returning is that there's one storm after another. In your latter years, it's just one storm after another. When you're young, there's still time, metaphorically speaking. When you're young, there's still time for the clouds to to disappear and for the sun to reappear. And when you're older, it's just one storm after another. It's one trouble after another. One more problem, one ache, one pain, one deterioration after another. Right? One subsequent storm. That's the picture. He said, so remember him now. And then the following verses describe um, in in poetic form uh, the reality of mortality. Foretaste of the future. Now, before we get into these, not not every point may be perfectly accurate. Okay? Nevertheless, as you read it, it's not difficult to see what the preacher's trying to say. Okay? Okay? So the breaking, the snapping of the golden cord, if you want to see that as the spine, okay, that's fine. Could be that, but it may not be that, okay? That's what I'm saying. So verse, verse 3. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble. So he's saying, look, remember in your youth, because the day's coming, one cloud after another, one storm after another. Remember him in your youth, because there's a day coming when the keepers of the house tremble, and the strong men are bent, and the grinders cease because they're few. Those who look through the windows are dimmed. Now, by the house, he means the human body. Okay, The house is the human body. And Paul says we're a house of clay, right? We're a house of clay. This earthly house, this earthly tabernacle in which our soul dwells, we're jars of clay. Paul puts it that way. So, as I'm studying this, I read... One, one commentator writes this. Listen to this. This is great. This, these, this description, he goes, this is the dawning realization that the aisles in the drugstore that we used to avoid, that we have avoided thus far, are now, are now beckoning us. It's no longer possible for us to walk down and say, you know, I wonder what they use that stuff for. Because <laughs> the older you get, you say, that's the stuff I need, Right? Remember when you're young, you're like, what old people are bizarre. So, in other words, the house is breaking down. Okay? Now, the keepers of the house would be the defenders of the house. And those are the hands. Those are the arms. And they keep the house. They defend the house. 
Now they begin to tremble, right? Old age, your hands begin to tremble. You, they, they no longer maintain the strength they used to have. The grip that you had opening the jar that your wife gives you, you can't open it now. You have trouble buttoning your shirt. So those are the hands. The strong men, that's, this is the, these are the legs in the back. Legs are linked with strength in Psalm 147. They're, or, or the back also used to be strong, used to be upright. As a young man, you walked with your shoulders back. You have broad shoulders when you're young. As you get older, they slouch forward. The man's bent over. He's stooped over. He might need a cane. That's why Paul said in 1st 2 Corinthians 5, in this tent we groan. In this house we, we, we groan. We're burdened. Moving along. So here's the house, it's the body, the hands tremble, the, the legs and the back uh, begin to totter. We become weak, hunched over, bent. The strong men are bent over. And then he says, the grinders cease. They're the teeth. You know, in the ancient world, you didn't have dentists, so when your teeth started to fall out, that you just, they're gone. Your wife has to grind up your food. You may lose your teeth. Today, you may have to have some bridge work done, or perhaps a full set of dentures. The grinders cease. They are few. And notice then, those who look through the windows are dimmed. The windows are the eyes. They're dimmed by you know, general loss of vision. Things don't appear as bright or as clear as they used to. They're just reading. I read all day for most of the week. It's like the, one, the 150 magnification used to work, and now it's 175, all within like three months. Right? Fuzzy sight, perhaps cataracts. The windows are dim. Verse 4 The doors on the street are shut when the sound of the grinding is low. This is, this is the loss of hearing. Doors allow communication to the outside world. The noises out on the street that used to be so vibrant have faded out. Michael Eaton comments on this. He said this quote, The grinding of grain out in the streets must have been a common cheerful indication that younger folk were going about their business while the elderly found themselves increasingly shut off from the hum of daily life. Loss of hearing. Then verse 4, and, okay, remember your creator in the days of your youth when the house starts because the house is going to break down, all right? If you don't die young, you're going to die old. So remember him. Remember him in verse 4, and one rises up at the sound of a bird. Here he's describing the difficulty of sleeping. This is shallow sleep. And rising up at the sound of the bird, it's not because you can hear the bird, because you've already lost your hearing, right? You're already losing your hearing. So it's not that you hear the bird that awakens you. The idea here is waking before dawn because you have trouble sleeping. 
So you rise about the same time that a bird makes the first chirp of the morning before the dawn of the day. So he's probably referring here to, to, to waking um, erratically early in the morning. You know, when you're young, I used to be able to sleep through, I don't know, my mom had so much trouble waking me up for school. She'd shake me and I wouldn't wake, or an alarm clock, I could sleep through it. People could have a party in the house, I could sleep through it, but not now. Even if I hear my neighbor like three doors down and behind me, ruins me. Can't sleep as, as soundly as we used to. Sleeping's a great gift, amen? If you don't sleep well, life can be very burdensome. And this is kind of what occurs in old age. So, and he says, and when, all the, when the daughters of the song are brought low. Now, this is probably referring to, to vocal chords, daughters of song. Like, daughters of Zion simply means Zion, right? Daughters of song um, could be the participation in singing, and your vocal cords don't have the, the elastic strength that they used to have. So here's a picture of the old man. His voice becomes raspy. He loses pitch. It becomes weak. Old age is set, man. And then he moves on um, from the physical decline. And I think here in verse 5, this this is where uh, the psychological effects of old age set in. Notice. They are afraid also of what is high and terrors in the way. So he's talking about heights and, and traveling. Okay, the, 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 elder, the elderly, he says, begin to, to fear uh, heights and, and, and journeys, perhaps um, climbing the stairs of your home. Remember, the roofs were flat, first century Israel, or ancient Israel, for that matter, beyond the first century, and they would have their patios up on their roof, so just to climb up those stairs would be kind of a fearful thing to think that you might fall. For us, it was easy to go up on a ladder when you're young. And now you have your wife holding the ladder. Honey, like I feed the birds in the back. I'm not afraid of heights yet. But we, we fear losing our balance. Something that was very um, easy to do in the prime of life. And here also he talks about you know, just walking down the street. You can be gripped by fear, you know, because you may trip, fall, uh, you know, break a bone. And again, the roads in Jerusalem, the, the Jerusalem roads were, were jagged. They were steep. So it wasn't like, you know, like walking across the street. But even so, the older we get, uh, we may fear walking down the street. It's intimidating enough when, it, when, it, when, when five guys are coming at you and you're young, so you just don't know. It's even more terrifying when you're old. Because not only do you not know, there's nothing you can do when you're old. And for us, traveling at any length when you're young, when you're 20, was like throwing a backpack on your bag and just going, right? Camping, sleeping in a tent, sleeping in your car. Who cares when you're 20? Not when you're 70. It's four stars and up for me now. 
you know, it's a lot easier for me to go visit my folks, which I'll do in June, than it is for them to come here. Right? My mom needs a knee, you know? So, you know, and then all the stress of the airports and all this stuff. You know, practically speaking, it's just it's difficult the older you get. And then verse 5, the almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drags itself along, and desire fails because man is going to his eternal home. Now, I'm told that a blossoming almond tree is white, and from a distance, I'm told, it looks like a human head with white hair. Anybody familiar with a blossoming almond tree? Reality is, when you get old, you either turn white on top or you have nothing on top. It's one or the other. We only have to look around in here. Notice the grasshopper drags itself along. Usually grasshoppers spring, grasshopper springs, and they leap. It's hard to catch one. But when it's near death, it begins to drag itself along. That's a very flattering picture, isn't it? (laughs) Drags himself along. The young are mobile. They're agile. And when you get old, you slow to a crawl. That's the picture. You move around painfully. You move around with difficulty the older you get. So he says, remember remember your creator when you're young because this is where you're headed. You're going to die. The house is going to break down. Notice desire fails. Uh, Your translation, I think it's NASB, says the the, the capperberry fails. That that berry was a kind of aphrodisiac. He says, when you get older, your appetite, your general appetite fails, so you eat less, you lose weight. Pleasure, or the pleasures in life, are, are receding when you're older. And sexual desire diminishes. You know, um, Barzillai, the uh, Gileadite, when King David invited him to his royal palace in Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 19, verse 35, look at what he says. I am this day 80 years old. Can I discern what is pleasant and what is not? Can your servant taste what he eats or what he drinks? Can I still listen to the voice of singing men and singing women? Why then should your servant be an added burden to my Lord, the King? It's the picture. Desire fails, the preacher says, because man is going to his own eternal home. And notice what he says, and the mourners go about the streets. So what he's saying here, look, Death is drawing near, and you know the professional mourners that the Israelites used to hire? They're at the side of the stage. (laughs) They're waiting. Right? They're waiting. Then he goes on, he provides even more vivid, um, memorable ways of describing death. Verse 6. Okay, again, remember your creator. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, Many believe that the bowl refers to the head and the brain that's inside the head. Or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. You notice the repetition. Snapped, broken, shattered, broken. 
Golden bowls hold oil. When its cord is, is snapped, it holds the bowl, falls to the floor, light is extinguished, gone. The day's coming, he says. Israel will get water from a cistern or from a fountain. And if the pitcher breaks, nothing to retrieve the water with. Or if, if the wheel or the pulley for the wheel is broken. All signs that life is coming to an end. So as we read through this, we see that every gray hair, every wrinkle, every inflamed joint, every arthritic bone becomes a parable. Right? Hey, it is a bit humorous, but it is, it's only funny because it's real. Right? So he says, remember your creator and your youth. When, if you don't, in the latter days, the desire is gone. I take no pleasure, he says. So we see here that the curse inflicted on Adam and Eve, that is, on this world, still inflicts all of us in in a temporal sense. It's temporal for those of us who are in Christ. Verse 7 and 8, so he says again, remember, remember, remember. And then when the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to God who gave it, Vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. So he ends the book as he began. And then we'll look at the epilogue next week. Solomon's postscript. So he says, look, look young people, okay? Young people, look at the old people. This is where you're going. You know, unless you die young. So this is a call to give yourself to Jesus Christ where you're alive, amen? I mean, that's the bottom line. Give yourself to Jesus Christ, surrender to Jesus Christ while you're young, for he is the resurrection and the life. See, Jesus comes, as we'll see this morning in the sermon, to reverse the curses of a fallen world. He reverses the curse. And we begin to see signs of that reality at the commencement of his ministry. And the commencement of his ministry was his baptism. So he takes this dismal view of life that one would hold to if you only see life from from an under-the-sun perspective, and he turns it inside out to where there's joy. So whether we're young or old, right? whether you die when you're young or when you're old, The day is coming, we will stand before our Creator, and He will reveal how we remembered Him. He will reveal on that day how we remembered His character and what He has done, and those who recognize His character and what He has done have repented of their unbelief and have entrusted themselves to Him. And they will inherit eternal life. If you die without remembering the Lord as he is, is to suffer this kind of pain eternally. Therefore, life is in Christ alone. So, Paul says, we'll we'll close on an upswing, on a high note. 2 Corinthians 4.16. So, we do not lose heart. Doesn't matter how old you are, amen? Yes, you will break down. Physically, mentally, mentally 
you will break down. We do not lose heart. Though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day for this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? 2 Corinthians 5.1, We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So with every ache and pain and gray hair that is a parable, we look beyond that. Amen? Forward and upward is our Redeemer, because our Creator is our Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ.